Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. Welcome to our Nanook of the North service. We're glad to have all of you here and excited to have all of you at home in your uh, robe and pajamas and slippers sitting in front of the fireplace uh, joining us today as well. Uh, we're in a series called Refreshing Relationships, and today I want to help you refresh your marriage. We're going to jump right in with a verse of scripture that's actually found in three different places uh, in the Bible. It's on your screen, on your app, on your uh, notes. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that verse appears first in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2. This is God's pronouncement after he presented Eve uh, to Adam. And then Jesus quotes this verse in the Gospels uh, when he says, Haven't you read? Haven't you read in Genesis 2? He replied that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And the verse is quoted again by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 uh, contains what I believe is the crucial passage on marriage uh, in the whole Bible. And so in the creation account in Genesis, in Christ's teaching on marriage, in Paul's writing on marriage, we have this verse that gives us two very important attitudes that God designed into marriage from the very beginning. And that's the attitude of wonder and the attitude of oneness. Jot that down on your notes somewhere. There's no filling for that. Just write it somewhere. The attitude of wonder and oneness. And some of you are thinking, well, I've got the attitude of wonder in my marriage. I I wonder why, I wonder how, I wonder when, I wonder what was he thinking. uh, But that's not the sense of wonder we're talking about. Uh, In the Garden of Eden, when God brought Eve to Adam, Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And that sounds rather strange to us. But in Hebrew, that means wowza yowza (laughs) is what that means, okay? And so Adam was blown away uh, when he saw Eve. He had a sense of wonder at this beautiful woman that God had made for him. And guys, maybe you had that sense of wonder when you first saw your wife. Or ladies, maybe you had that sense of wonder when you first saw your husband. But in order for a marriage to stay healthy, we need to maintain that attitude of wonder. The attitude of, wow, God did something incredible when he created marriage. And it's easy to lose that attitude. It's easy to take that attitude for granted and and to let it wane in our lives. But we need to keep the attitude of wonder in our marriage. 
The second attitude is the attitude of oneness. Jesus said, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, this idea of being one isn't just that we have the same opinions on things or that we agree on everything, because in marriage, we often don't agree on everything. But it's talking literally about becoming one at the very core of our being. There's something spiritually miraculous that's happening here. Ephesians 5, uh, Paul says that the wife is united with her husband just as the church is united with Jesus Christ. It's not just a marriage. It's a picture. It's an illustration of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage is not just a physical relationship. It's not just an emotional attachment. It's not just a a financial arrangement. It's not just a parenting partnership. Marriage is first and foremost a spiritual relationship. It is that spiritual bond that creates the true oneness in marriage. And you may be thinking, you know, I've lost that sense of wonder or oneness. Or maybe you realize that you've never had it. What, what do you do about that? The, the key to growing a healthy marriage is to move as close as you can get to the biblical model, the biblical pattern that God established for marriage. The closer you can get to fulfilling the role that God established for a husband, the role that God established for a wife, the more wonder and oneness you will experience. The closer you get to God's design, the more wonder, the more oneness. Now, throughout history, from from Adam and Eve until just this morning, uh, people have chosen to reject God's model for marriage. And they've tried to create their own models. You know, for some reason, we just naturally don't like the biblically defined roles for men and women in marriage. And so we come up with new definitions that we think will work better. We, we come up with new approaches to marriage that are fresher, more current, more appropriate for our, our times. But we really haven't come up with anything new at all. We really haven't come up with anything new. The Bible is full of stories of failed marriages, dysfunctional families, screwy relationships, and the human suffering left in the wake of our attempts to follow our own desires and designs in marriage. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It sounds like a good plan at the start. It seems right, but in the end, it leads to the death and destruction of our marriage. It destroys our family, destroys our kids, destroys our friendships, destroys our finances. A a failed marriage is destructive and devastating to everyone involved. It, It looks good at the start, but it doesn't end well. That's why the path of wisdom is to look to the pattern for marriage that was designed by the one who created you, who created your spouse, the one who created marriage itself. And then you work as hard as you can to bring your marriage into alignment with God's plan. 
Now, I want to just walk you through Ephesians 5, 21 through 31. This is God's plan for your marriage. So Ephesians 5, 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit, give in, surrender, succumb, acquiesce, yield to, defer to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence, devotion, adoration, awe of Jesus Christ. If you're going to grow a healthy marriage, you must both submit because your marriage really is, it's really not about you. Your marriage is about your reverence for Jesus Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submit to their husbands out of reverence for Christ. Marriage is a picture of the relationship that Christ has with the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the head. The wife is the bride of the husband. And the husband is the head. As the church follows Christ, the wife follows her husband. Why? Why does the church follow Christ? Why does a wife follow her husband? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for the church and because of what the husband does for the wife. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Both the husband and wife are to submit to one another. The wife is to submit to her husband and notice this, the husband is to sacrifice for his wife. He gives himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Well, why does a bride walk down the aisle in a beautiful white dress? Because she represents the church. She represents the radiant, glorious, pure, holy, blameless, unblemished, perfect church of Jesus Christ. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So here's God's, God's pattern for marriage. Submit to each other, especially wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, sacrifice for your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. Submit, sacrifice, respect, and love. The closer you move toward those values in your marriage, the healthier your marriage is going to become.
The more you resist those values, the more dysfunctional it's going to become. Now, immediately the question pops up, well, what if I submit, but he doesn't sacrifice? Or what if I sacrifice, but she doesn't show me any respect? What if I do my part, and they don't do their part? Here's the harsh reality. You need to do what God has called you to do as a wife, as a husband, whether your spouse does what they're supposed to do or not. God is going to hold you accountable for what you do in your marriage. God is going to judge you. God is going to reward you for what you do, whether your spouse does the right thing or not. You can't use your spouse's failure and disobedience to excuse your failure and disobedience. At the, at the judgment seat of Christ, you will be judged for how you behaved in your marriage. And you're not going to be able to stand there and point fingers at each other and get yourself off the hook. That's not how it's going to work. You will give an account of how well you fulfilled your God-assigned role as a wife as a husband, regardless of how your spouse fulfilled theirs. Now, I, I just want you to understand, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be hard-hearted here. But honest, folks, somebody's got to tell you this. Somebody's got to tell you this before you squander your opportunity, destroy your marriage, and lose your reward. So that's the harsh reality. But let me give you some hope. The best way to change your spouse is to change yourself. If you bring yourself into alignment with God's plan, it will have a profound effect on your spouse. You can't force, coerce, or nag your spouse to change. The more you try to nag your spouse to change, the more they're going to dig in their heels and stay the same or even get worse. And so don't force, coerce, or nag. Instead, invite them to change. Invite them to change. And the most powerful way that a wife can invite her husband to change is by showing him respect. You treat your husband like you want him to become. You, you, you don't nag, belittle, or humiliate him. You respect him simply because he holds the office that God has placed him in as a husband. Ladies, men are drawn to respect. They are moved by respect. Respect makes men want to be all they can be. But nagging and pointing out their faults, it feels like disrespect, and it actually increases their resistance to change. Husbands, the most powerful way you can invite your wife to change is sacrifice. As you lay down your life for her, as you lovingly, sacrificially meet her needs, it softens her heart towards you, and she becomes willing to follow your lead. The closer you move to God's plan for marriage, the healthier your marriage becomes. But even if it doesn't, even if they don't change, you are doing the right thing. And God sees it, and he will reward you for it in heaven. Now, our number one struggle with submission and sacrifice is they make us vulnerable 
We, we don't want to put ourselves out there like that. It's scary. But without vulnerability, there, there isn't real love. I mean, think about how vulnerable God was when he sent his only son to the cross. God sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for people that he knew would reject him. And he did it anyway. That's a risk he calls us to take as well. And so that's the introduction. Now let's jump into the sermon, okay? And I want to say this before we start. At this point, if you realize, you know what, I've blown this. I have failed in this. I've made mistakes in this in my past. What do I do? Let me tell you what you do. You just admit it. You admit it, you confess it, you receive God's forgiveness for it, and whatever your situation in life is, you move forward. God offers forgiveness, he offers redemption, he offers renewal. So admit it, receive his forgiveness, and let's move forward. So I, I want to look at how uh, submit, sacrifice, respect, and love play out in five important areas in marriage. First is making contact, communication. Proverbs 13, 17 says, Reliable communication permits progress. Uh, to grow a healthy marriage, you've got to communicate effectively. Now, respect in communication means I am careful with my words. When I'm careful with my words, uh, it, I'm showing respect. When I'm not careful, that's disrespect. Because words can hurt, words can wound. And so we've got to check our words for respect. Sacrifice in communication means I'm vulnerable. It means I'm open, I'm available. I, I, I'll let you know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm dreaming about, what hurts me, what gives me hope. I'll share the details of my day. I'll share what's happening in my life. You know, some people are an open book. I mean, they'll just willingly share anything about themselves. Some people hold those areas of their life very tightly, even in marriage. They're afraid to share uh, their hurts or their deepest thoughts, even with their spouse. But vulnerability is a part of marriage, and that's why respect is so crucial, because if you're going to be vulnerable, there's got to be respect. Relationships are fueled by communication. Just like an engine needs fuel, the fuel of communication has got to be put into your, your relationship regularly. You can't say, well, you know, we had a really great conversation once this month and so we're set. No, it's got to be a continual process. And the foundation of communication is trust. You can't have high-quality communication without high-quality trust. It's got to be reliable. It has to be true. Ephesians 4.15 talks about speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth, not with a sledgehammer, not with a machine gun. You know, just because something is true doesn't mean it's not mean. And so we've got to be careful. Jesus calls us to grace and truth. Grace and and truth. It takes both. Jot this down on your outline somewhere. Truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Grace without truth is meaningless. You've got to have both. And so 
Respect means I'm careful with my words. Sacrifice means I'm vulnerable in my communication. Making decisions, problem solving. When it comes to making decisions in our marriage, our, our, our model is the relationship that Christ has with the church. You know, how does Jesus Christ lead the church? How does he lead you as a Christian? How, how does he help you make decisions in your Christian life? Does Jesus just send directions down, Ten Commandments style, right in front of you? Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. I mean, honestly, that's not how it works in my life. It, rarely in my Christian life have I heard Jesus say to me, this is what I want you to do next. All the other times, he's involved me in the decision-making process. Jesus does not dictate all our decisions for us. Here's your marching orders, now go do this. Jesus doesn't delegate all the decisions to us. He doesn't say, you're on your own, just try and figure it out. You know, with the church, he doesn't say, I'm going to heaven, uh, struggle along here on your own, and I'll come back and see how you did. No. Jesus leads us to make decisions with him. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. We, Jesus provides the leadership, and he shows us what to do, and it's a, a process of working together. Same thing that happens in the home with a godly husband. You know, some guys are really good at, at giving orders. Some guys are really good at delegating tasks because that's what we do. That's what we do at work all day long. And so we think, well, that's what I'll do at home. I'll just delegate this to the wife and, you know, I'll take care of, you know, the career and the business and all this stuff and you take care of the house and it'll be even that way. I do my thing, you do your thing, and off we go. That's not God's plan for the family. You know, guys often tend to delegate to their wives the spiritual nurture of their children. The wife becomes the spiritual leader in the home. And, and wives and moms wield a tremendous amount of spiritual influence. But God's plan is not for the man to abdicate the spiritual leadership of the home to his wife. The, the man is to step up and set the spiritual tone for the home. And just as Jesus leads us in the process of making decisions in the church, in a Christian marriage, it's a process of decision-making together. It's not me trying to figure out how to get what I want, her trying to figure out how to get what she wants. It's a process driven by an attitude of submission. The husband is to consider his wife's needs before pressing to achieve his wants. You know, I haven't made a good decision until I've thought about what does my wife need? What does the rest of my family need? And respect means that a wife is to look for the value in her husband's opinion before looking for the flaw. You know, guys can come up with some crazy ideas. I think we should move to Alaska. It's warmer there. Yeah. Or, or what if we lived on a houseboat? Okay? And, and a wife can immediately find 77 reasons why that's not going to work. But it's really helpful if the wife just takes a minute and thinks, okay, what's he really thinking here? What's the value behind what he's thinking? Is there any, any value in this? Is there any kernel of truth behind this? What's the positive motivation behind this? 
before just saying, well, this won't work because of this, 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 and this. Be careful, ladies, about being a dream killer. Guys need to dream. They need to dream. And chances are he doesn't really want to move to Alaska or live on a houseboat. But it sure is a fun thing to dream about. Okay? And ladies, who knows? You may get a really cool deck or an awesome vacation out of that dream. Okay? So the goal is to cooperate, respect, and sacrifice as you make a decision. But ultimately, someone has to make the final decision. Someone has to take responsibility for the decision, and that responsibility rests on the husband. Just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband's the head of the household. And the husband will one day be judged for how well he led his family. And wives, you will be judged one day for how well you follow his lead. So men, don't abdicate your spiritual responsibility to your wife. Wives, don't usurp that responsibility from your husband. Find your role and work together. Making love, intimacy, and romance. Just relax on this one, okay? Just relax. Uh, in the wedding vows, we make the promise, forsaking all others, be faithful to him or her as long as you both shall live. Forsaking all others. Christian marriage is a decision to specialize in one person for life. Proverbs 5, 15 and 19. Drink from your own well, my son. Be faithful and true to your wife. Let her love alone fill you with delight. Guys, you become a one-woman man when you get married. Hebrews 13, 14 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So God says, refuse outside intimacy and rejoice in inside intimacy. You know, I make the decision to remain faithful to my spouse. I maintain that sense of wonder and oneness with my spouse. Intimacy and romance are so important in marriage because they're not just physical or even emotional acts. Now, intimacy reaches down into the depths of the soul. That's why there's so many love songs on the radio. You know, you listen to the radio, it's just love song after love song after. Once in a while you get a song about a truck or a dog, but man, most of them, they're just, you know, they're just love songs. People are desperate for intimacy and romance. And God's Word clearly teaches us that the two become one flesh. There's a depth of oneness in intimacy that reaches into our soul. That's why if you've been uh, wounded or abused sexually, that, that's why it hurts so deeply and why it's so hard to overcome. Because somebody, they didn't just do something physical to you, they wounded your soul. And that's why this area of marriage needs to be dealt with respect and sacrifice. A, a wife should respect her husband and his God-given need. You know, th this wasn't your husband's idea. God wired him up uh, that way. And God put that need into his life for a purpose. And the purpose is the unity that God wants to bring into your marriage. God built that desire into a man on purpose. And wives need to respect that desire. And husbands need to sacrifice in this area. Don't demand, 
Don't demean. Instead, delight. Delight. Make the decision to sacrificially satisfy the needs in her life. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Making the bed. You know, the real question in the bedroom is, who's going to make the bed? Uh, You know, who does what chore? can be a big issue, especially when you first get married. you you got to hammer out who's going to do what. And Galatians 5.13 says, serve each other with love. You know, the key to household chores in marriage is what, what's the attitude going to be? You know, is my home a place of indulgence or a place of service? Marriage is either an opportunity to serve others or it's an opportunity to indulge ourselves. And so am I serving my family or am I taking advantage of them? Is my home a place of law or a place of love? You know, when we start dividing up the labor of who does what, it can turn into a battle of to-do lists and scorecards. You know, we can become legalistic and, and we just need to take a step back and, and ask, am I responding to my husband or wife with law You know, you said you'd do this, and I said I'd do that, and you're not keeping up your end of the deal. Or I can respond in love. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. Love is anxious to give more than it is to get. Love serves. And then ask yourself, is my home a place of fighting for my rights or a place of meeting others' needs? It doesn't work to try to keep things equitable or balanced. Rights, balance, equity aren't major factors in submit, sacrifice, respect, and love. You know, it, you know it's, it's not so much the doing of it, it's the attitude toward it. It's remembering why we're doing it. You know, I'm cleaning the house for the people I love so much. I am scraping and priming and painting this house. Not for my neighbors to look at it, but I'm doing it for the people that I love so much who live in this house. You know, I'm doing what I'm doing for the people that I love. Next is making peace. Handling mistakes and differences. You know, when you get married, you quickly realize three things. My spouse has character flaws, my spouse makes major mistakes, and my spouse sins. So what's your response to each of those? Uh, when my, my spouse has character flaws, you know, maybe your husband's a really picky eater. And so you go to all the trouble to cr- create a, 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 a wonderful gourmet meal, and his response is, I like potatoes and gravy. I'm not wild about sautéed mushrooms. Well, what, what, what's your response to their character flaws? Acceptance. You have to learn to accept each other's flaws because you've got them too. My, my spouse makes mistakes, major mistakes. It may be a big financial decision. It might be a decision regarding a vehicle. It might be something they forgot to do and there was a penalty. It's a major mistake, but it's not a sin. And so how do we respond to mistakes? With compassion. With compassion. The good old golden rule. You just think, how would I want him to respond to me if I made this mistake? What would I want her to say to me 
if I made this mistake. Because we all make mistakes, and we all need compassion. And then what about when my spouse sins? The response is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and loving to each other and forgive each other, just as God forgave you in Christ. If I have trouble forgiving my spouse, I just need to remember how much Christ has forgiven me. And then I need to be forgiving to them. So we, we, we have mistakes in our marriages. We also have differences in our marriage. Have you noticed that men and women are different? I mean, every cell in a man's body is different than every cell in a woman's body. I mean, we are different down to the level of our chromosomes. And God created us to be different. He created us, not just our bodies to be different, he created our brains to work differently. A, a, a man's brain and a woman's brain are wired up differently. The connections are different. And God did that, and he did it on purpose. God made us different so that we would complement, so that we would complete one another, not so that we would compete with each other. So God made us different. Our differences can be our greatest enemy or they can be our greatest strength. It's just how do we respond to them? And through submission, sacrifice, respect, and love, we can be together what we could never be alone. That's what God intends for marriage. That, that we need each other in order to complete the picture, in order to complete the picture of Christ's love for his church. Now, no marriage is perfect because we're all imperfect human beings, but I believe deeply that Ephesians 5 was written because God wants marriage to be a source of satisfaction in our lives. But there's more to it than just our satisfaction, than just our happiness. You know, my marriage is more than a place for my needs to be met. My marriage can become a picture of the love of Christ for the church. Paul says it in Ephesians 5, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for each man and woman who's here or watching this service today. And I just pray that, that out of reverence for Christ, we would submit to one another. And that we would treat each other with respect, sacrifice, and love, especially in our marriages. May, may Christ be the Lord in every heart, the Lord in every home. I thank you for the institution of marriage, and I pray that you would help each of us to fulfill our part. And God, where we've fallen short and made mistakes in the past, we admit it, we confess it, we ask for your forgiveness, we receive your forgiveness. You're the God of the second chance. You're the God of the new start. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And so we pray that from this moment on, we would seek to live as closely as we can to your pattern, your plan for marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.